Yes. Okay. Hey guys, and welcome to today's live stream. I know it's a little bit different. We've got things set up a little bit more. So if you tuned into the last one where we were in the clinic, this one hopefully will be a little bit easier for you guys to view. Uh, things are a little bit more steady and hopefully it's a little more organized. So hopefully you find this one really helpful. If you're new to the channel, please do consider subscribing. Today we're going to be talking all about the worst exercises if you have back pain. I'm gonna go through some demonstrations. We've got a list of five here. And I'm gonna sort of go through these one by one. So hopefully you're gonna find this really interesting. And if we kick things off, we've broken these down into three types of exercises and before I get into it also if you do have any questions Lara's just there on the computer she's looking at your comments if you post those in the comment section below then we'll get into those at the back end of the live stream and go through that Q&A so do post those as we're going along I wanted to start out by breaking these into three types of exercises because that will help you guys understand that you've been you're in this early stage so doing type 1 and type 2 exercises if you're in the back and shape then this would be really the phase 1 exercise routines or maybe you're a little bit further on and you're doing what we would classify as phase two phase three you're looking to strengthen your core you know it's an important thing when it comes to back pain and you're looking at specific exercises to try and strengthen that core maybe you're doing type three type exercises so a nice simple one there so no matter what stage of back pain recovery or rehab you're in there's going to be something in this video for you guys so hopefully it'll really make sense we wanted to cover these because the Quite often they're given to people maybe through your physio if you've been given um, sort of gone through the NHS route and that's not a, not a, not a, a jab at physiotherapists, that's a physio and osteo, a chiro could give you all of these exercises and we want to help you guys understand why they're not so good, why we don't recommend them and then towards the back end of the live stream as well what we would recommend in their stead. So the first, the real common ones are going to be knee hugs and knee rocks and I'll get into demonstrations a little bit later. What are these doing here? The main purpose of the knee hugs, as we've mentioned before, we've got our spine through here. When we've got lower back pain, there's gonna be an injury down this bottom section of the lumbar spine. That's gonna be creating inflammation. It's gonna put pressure on the nerves. So whether you've got sciatic flex symptoms down the leg, whether you've just got band-like pain across your lower back here, that's what's gonna be causing those symptoms. And we get given knee hugs and the knee rocks to a degree to basically open out this space. And those knee hugs there, are there to open out as we're hugging our knees towards our chest to open out that space where these nerves come put a stretch through those lower back muscles because the proviso in that scenario will be working hypothesis is that there is spasm in your back there's uh, muscle tightness in your back and we need to stretch it out further to alleviate those symptoms and if you've watched any of our other live streams you'll know that that's couldn't be in most cases further from the truth a lot of people that have recurrent lower back pain disc injuries and those sorts of issues have a loss of lumbar curve so any further stretching is only further is only serving to stretch out these structures even more so that's the first one knee rocks why are these recommended these are a gentle mobility exercise and i think after i've been through these lara i'll go and demonstrate each of these on the floor these first type one exercises because the knee rocks essentially are there to mobilize the spine but the first, the, the, in the first instances of low back pain, we tend to find that actually not doing those mobilizations, those knee rocks, works an awful lot better. Let that spine settle. It needs a lordotic position. We've got scabs trying to form through here. We've got uh, uh, tissue laid down to try and get that healing to take place, to, to knit up the injury, if you will, the tear. Maybe it's an annular tear in the discs. 
Do we really want to be getting those two sides of the wounds that are trying to knit together and pulling them apart first thing in the morning? And those knee rocks are basically doing a rotation through the lumbar spine. Now rotations really are not the kind of movement that we want to do and we'd recommend for patients. Uh, and I'll get on to what to do instead in one moment, but the, that is why we don't recommend these two exercises. Knee hugs, yes, they're taking pressure by, off, off that nerve by opening the space out, but they're unfortunately creating more injury in that area and they're stretching out structures that are already trying to hold on. And knee rocks are just unnecessary, they're pointless. And unfortunately, people get dragged into these two exercises thinking that they are these sorts of exercises. And that really is the biggest problem out of all of these. It's not explained that even if you were working on the proviso that this is correct, which in my opinion it is not, these exercises should not really be done for the long term. They're not necessary long-term exercises. And quite often we see patients that have been doing these for months, if not years at a time, thinking that it's helping their back pain and they're just stuck in type one, what we would call is phase one, and they're not being given the confidence to move on and start testing into what we would call phase two, which is some of that gentle, safe stretching, uh, sorry, strengthening exercises. So love, we put the camera a little bit lower down. I just pop myself on the floor and show you guys the knee hugs and why we don't like them so much. And I'm also gonna grab this here, because this can be a little towel. So, first and foremost, when we're on the floor, doing the, uh, the knee hugs. What we're essentially doing is taking our spine and rounding it up. So if I lie on the floor here, we've got, we're in this position here, and what we're doing is taking the knees and we're pulling them really up, maybe one arm at a time, or one leg at a time, or sometimes even worse, both at a time. You see my bums coming off the floor there as I'm doing this. It's getting a really good stretch through all of those ligaments and muscles on the back of my spine, and really serving to compress the front of my disc to drive it even further backwards, which means that although this feels lovely as I'm doing it, maybe let's just do a bit of a rock in this position, is that although it feels lovely on the muscles as I'm doing this, it's actually really not a good idea. Okay, especially if I really try and pull, you can see what on earth is doing to my poor spine. Now I've got the decompression table in the other room, so I'll get on there afterwards today, but this is a terrible one. Then the next one that we often give is those knee rocks, just rolling one side to the other, and this is a fantastic one. I've just put all that pressure on the front of my discs and now I'm really twisting those discs to really, if there wasn't enough trouble through them, I'm making it even worse. Just, and you might do these more slowly, but it's just not appropriate, it's not helpful. It's, it's making the issue worse and often people get stuck doing these because they may well be relieving at the moment, at the time you're doing them, but they are not helpful for the underlying issue. I'm just gonna stay around here and show you guys two simple exercises you can do instead. First and foremost, when you wake up in the morning, because that's gen generally when those knee hugs are recommended, instead, you're lying on your back, just do a gentle shimmy, left and right, nice and gently. That left and right shimmy, not twisting, instead will provide a gentle way of mobilizing your spine in a very safe range with a little bit of shimmying to help you get mobile first thing in a sensible, safe way. No end of range twisting in an awful way with long levers, just a gentle shimmy. And you can even pop your hands here. You do this for maybe 10, 20 seconds before you get up. That can really make a big difference. And then of course, you don't just do a sit up, you roll onto your side, okay, if you're on the bed. The second one is the towel. I don't have a towel in the clinic with us today, but I've got this thing, which is for part of the decompression table. Many of you will know this and will have seen the exercise in phase one. Um, you can go over there and check it out in more detail. But a towel, maybe a touch larger than this, and that goes under the lower back, and this is one of the foundational exercises for our back in shape. 
phase one, which is the towel decompression exercise. This is too strong, this is too firm, so don't use this, but that's about the right size and it goes underneath this lumbar spine. So if I pop myself back up, that towel when I just did that will be going right here. So we find those two bony bits at the base of the spine here. We come up about an inch and that's where it is. It's supporting the gentle decompression of these segments here. The towel, not this, okay? It's supporting the gentle decompression of all of these structures and unloading of the muscles. So an infinitely better one. So instead of, I don't know where my green pen's gone, but instead of the knee hugs and knee rocks, we have the, I have no idea how to spell it, but we'll spell it like that, shimmy. I don't know, is that the right spelling? Possibly. Probably not. If you, are, <laughs> if you are watching this and that's the wrong spelling, tell us in the description below. Um, and then we've got the towel. And many of you guys watching this will be part of the backing chip will know about those particular little bits and pieces, especially that towel. It's a fantastic alternative when you're in phase one, you've just injured your back. Getting on that towel is really going to make a big difference. I know it's spine. For many of you starting, you may need a slightly smaller towel uh, as to ease yourself into it but it is a great one, and obviously you've got to get off there correctly, but there's all the guidance in the backinshape, uh, backinshapeapp.com members area to help uh, tell you guys exactly how and why to do that in more detail, full videos on that. Then we get into the next one, and this is a personal favorite, or one I love to really just talk about, I really don't, but anyway, the piriformis stretch and the hamstring stretch. I'm going to do the hamstring stretch first because we do actually recommend hamstring stretching, it is very helpful and we do recommend stretching of the glute region which would include piriformis but the ways in which these tend to be done tend to again be misguided. So the first one is the hamstring stretch and people just have to go boom, okay? okay. I don't know if you can see my back here but look at how people lose the specificity. When we're doing these sorts of stretches they are really really important. We should be stretching the hips because the hips give us mobility so that our spine doesn't get injured. But when we're stretching in a lazy way without good thought and clear understanding of what and why we're trying to do it, we don't want to flex our back. We want to round our back further. We want to bend from the hips and only the hips. So now we've got a hamstring stretch. This does nothing to increase the stretch. It only serves to irritate my lower back and make things worse. And this is a really important one because when we're doing those hamstring stretches, if we're doing them incorrectly, we could be doing the right exercise in the wrong way, and that is going to lead you to getting worse. And you'll think, well, I can't do a hamstring stretch, that just makes me worse. No, you can't do a hamstring stretch incorrectly. And if you have, people often ask, well, I don't know about these exercises because I have, I, you know, I've got my diagnosis, I don't know if it's okay for me. If you have things like slip disc, bulging discs, herniated discs, you've got spondylolisthesis, you've got spondylosis, you've got any other sort of degenerative injuries, annular tears, those sorts of things, these exercises are safe because that one, when done correctly, is not going to move your spine. If you don't move it, you can't injure it. But if you do them incorrectly, then you're going to make yourself worse. So technique is so important when we do that one there. And much like the knee hugs with this piriformis stretch, there are other ways which we talk about to do the piriformis stretch, such as using a bench. But uh, if I demonstrate to you guys on the floor, again, why is this one not very good? Because as we're on the floor, all too often people do it in a very similar way to the knee hug. We're pulling around, pulling around, pulling around. And people also, with piriformis, it's such a, a thing almost. It's this tiny, tiny muscle inside uh, this region here. 
And it's very unlikely that the spasm, maybe it's coming from your lower back, is only affecting the piriformis. It's going to be affecting all of the lateral hip rotators, of which there are many, and the glutes, and the hamstrings. So to put all of your symptoms down to one little tiny muscle is really a little bit silly. If we lie on our back when we do the piriformis, the problem is people do this with such vigour. One leg over one leg and we pull up like so, and really pull and pull and pull and pull and pull to stretch the piriformis. Well, you are stretching, you're going to be stretching other muscles in that scenario. But the fact is, again, we're doing that same knee hug where we're pulling off underneath and rounding our lower back when we're doing this exercise, which is not a helpful one for us. So please try and avoid that one there. Oh, do you want to grab the oh, camera? Oh, yeah, sorry. Again. Um, try and avoid that particular exercise because it doesn't help. And I think with piriformis in particular, people get caught into going through it for months and months on end. Oh, I've got to stretch my piriformis, I've got to stretch my piriformis. When you get misguided and stuck in this part here, which is still really part of phase one, and we don't ever progress onto here because we say the piriformis is so sore, etc. So please, please, please avoid that stretch in particular because it's rounding the lower back like the knee hugs. And if we're doing hamstring stretches, they are correct, but we want to do them without bending our spine and do them from the hips. And then we've got the final one, which is an absolute favorite, the Russian twists. The last one on the list for the sort of the five worst exercises you can do for your back. This one is awful because it combines the worst principles of all the others that we've mentioned and puts them into one exercise with extra load and strain. And commonly, when we're doing Russian twists, we're doing it with a weight in our hands. So if I demonstrate those first and foremost, just on the floor again for the last time, hopefully I'm not going to be on you anymore. And we're in this sort of position and we're doing these, okay? It's just awful. The back's rounded, we've got load and we're twisting. If you want to injure your disc or herniated disc, this is a fantastic way to do it. It's not a sensible exercise. Yes, it challenges your core doing those rotations, but we always ask if you don't have a back problem or have a history of one that's not flowing up now, there are so many different ways we can challenge our core, we can work our core, we can stimulate our core to protect our back for the long term. Adding in these sorts of exercises is just the risk versus reward when there are so many other safer alternatives is just not worth it. So please, I really would encourage you guys, leave those sorts of things out. How many times, unless you're a rower or a kayaker, are you doing this or this on a daily basis? You're just not doing it. Okay, it's not the way your core is working on a functional day in day out basis, and that's why we don't include that sort of stuff in the back and shape phase two and phase three protocols. It's not necessary. It's putting unnecessary stress through discs, which have injured, and it's just going to expose previous injuries. So we'll just recap this once, and then we'll go into Q and A. If you've got any questions, then please do post those in the questions right now, just so Lara can get them out. We'll get them lined up for us. Uh, first and foremost, we've got three types of exercises that are commonly recommended, uh, which we, we've covered in the worst exercises you can do for your back pain. Hopefully I've gone through why and you understand why. We've got knee hugs and knee rocks in type one, which would be mobilization, stroke relief based exercises, which are doing nothing for the long-term problem, but they are there to supposedly try and reduce your symptoms to a degree. The knee hugs and the knee rocks are putting unnecessary pressure through the front part of your spine discs and unnecessary stretch through the back part, as well as a precarious movement in the way of that rotation that's going through the lumbar spine first thing in the morning. All too many of you will have heard of someone who's bent down to put their socks on in the morning or gone down to have a shave, and that's where the disc has gone because it's a combination of that rotation and forward bending. We do not want to be doing that. Please avoid it, if you're, especially if you're in that what we call phase one of rehab process, of rehab process. We've recommended the shimmy, which I've spelt incorrectly, I don't know if anyone's corrected that yet, and the towel exercise as 
viable alternatives in this phase and they really, especially the towel, the shimmy is not really an exercise, more of a practice, but the towel is a fantastic one to actually work with the underlying anatomy, the normal anatomy of your lumbar spine to make sure we can take pressure off injured structures and muscles and ligaments effectively. We've got type two, which are the stretching exercises that will need to be done for, through what we would call phase one, two and three through the initial periods of acute back pain, but also through the rehab process and through maintenance and physical, normal physical activity like going to the gym, etc. Um, these exercises, these type two exercises are necessary. But when we're doing them, we want to do it in a way that targets the hip, targets the hip only, and does not target the lumbar spine. You want sensible stretching, and sometimes that does involve a little bit of a learning curve. Some of you who are in our back and shape will have seen the phase, the, the new phase three exercise, which is that hip hinge. A lot of people struggle with that which is why they struggle to hamstring stretch effectively without bending everything. It's a sign if you struggle that you're not quite moving correctly and we need a little bit of work. Perseverance here is the key. If you're trying to play tennis left-handed for the first time, you're going to hit a few balls in wrong directions. That doesn't mean you give up. It means that there's an issue there and we need to work on it to make sure we can learn to move correctly. Very, very important. And then finally, those strengthening exercises. There are a number of different ways. You'll see them all over the internet how we can strengthen our abs to protect our back. There's lots from fitness people all the way through to medical people and everyone in between. There are so many different variations and many of them can be done safely. But ones like the Russian twists that incorporate that forward bending, compression and rotation all at the same time are just not necessary. They're not akin to the way in which we use our body on a daily basis. They, they are what we call functional and therefore they have no place in a sensible rehab process for your back. Whether you're actually not in back pain and just looking to strengthen your core for the long term or whether you're recovering from back pain, there's no reason to include these sorts of exercises. There are so many other safer and more effective ones like the ones that we mentioned in the back in shape. So hopefully this has been helpful and we'll get into Q&A. Okay, brilliant. Good morning, everybody. I hope the camera wasn't too shaky as yes. we were going through yes. those. a little um, uh, Fiona has asked a couple of questions here. She's also left the comment. She said, oh my God, I always do Russian twists weighted at the gym, yeah. shock face. Um, so, so it's just that compression that goes through your spine. It's just not necessary. They feel great, don't get me wrong. And that's why so many people gravitate to them because they do feel great. They're hard work, they challenge your core, but there are so many other ways we can do it that are really much more effective and, or equally as effective. Because it's not that they're not effective, but much, much more safe. Safer, yeah. And safety, we don't want you guys injuring yourself unnecessarily. It, 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 the big problem, we did a, a live stream which was, uh, we didn't expect it to be quite as influential or as popular, but on mental health and back pain. And relapses really knock people back mentally, sometimes more than physically. And we just want you to, to steer you guys away from those sorts of issues. So mm -hmm. really important. So she says, so basically avoid a lot of forward movement and go for more backward stretching movements. Um, Avoid forward movement in the lumbar spine. We can still do that movement there, but I bent from my hips. My spine stayed straight. We don't want to be doing that. That is the problem. So it's forward movement of the lumbar spine. It's flexion of the lumbar spine. When we're sat down on a daily basis, I don't know if you can see me in this position, but when we're sat down, we're grounded enough. We have enough flexion going through our bodies on a daily basis. We don't need any more, especially not in the gym. So, but what about back extensions? Because back, back, back extensions are fine, but they do sometimes, when we're, doing, when we're talking about back rehab and strengthening, we don't want to be working in the extremes mm. of end of range. So coming all the way back here for an excessive cobra is not necessary. And we definitely shouldn't be doing it as part of a loaded exercise. We want to be very, very cautious when we're doing that. A lot of the stuff that we recommend going through these, what we call phase one, two, three, rather than type one, two, three. With the phase one, two, three of the back in shape, 
is about taking you through sensible, safe uh, exercises. And we want to clear out. If we've got a range of motion from here to here, a joint can move this far, whether it's your lumbar spine or your hips or whatever, we really want to sit in this range when we're going through rehab. We'll get onto stuff later on about phase three and beyond phase three where we start to look at these boundaries here. But if you're still in that phase one, two, three process, we don't want to be worrying about doing exercises in this range for the time being, especially not load bearing exercises. We might want to start to, with some of the stretches, start to look at this range a little bit sooner, but not in the gym with strengthening exercises. Please be careful of that. Okay, Fiona's also asked, um, if a practice offers a paid block booking, uh, but then uh, they started asking you to do things that weren't comfortable, um, would, uh, could you cease the rest of the treatment with them? Uh, I guess, should you, would you, could you? I guess, um, I, I think she means if you buy like a block of treatments yeah. and it's not working for you, should you cease the treatment? Um, I think you should always have a discussion with your practitioner because sometimes they may be getting mixed messages. Um, and it's all you should always feel comfortable having a discussion with your practitioner. We always try and make people here as comfortable as possible, saying, Look, you know, let's have a chat about how you're getting on, etc. Can we tweak things? Uh, and the most, the overwhelming majority of practitioners, whether they're physios, osteos, chiros, whether they're your doctor, whether you're your specialist, will want to have that discussion to make sure you're comfortable with yeah. the way treatment's going and they should feel confident in their own abilities enough to stand question, to, to ask questions. Now, if someone came in and asked me to do these exercises because they feel nice, I'd want to have that discussion with them. I wouldn't want to say, no, you're an idiot, go away. I'd want to say, look, this is why we don't recommend this exercise. This is why it will feel good right now. And this is why, although it feels good, you really want to be careful about how to do it. And that's why we do these longer, longer videos, these longer live streams, to try and have that discussion. But every single practitioner you see should have the willingness to have this conversation and these sorts of conversations with you. If they don't, then that's when you want to start saying, hey, maybe I should, should, should cut things here. Yeah. Because I can't have an honest conversation with you about this and I don't feel like you're willing to, to have that conversation. That's when you should maybe consider going somewhere else. But I would always have a discussion with your practitioners because you have to remember, no one gets into this job to not help people. Yeah, so they are working to a, a, a script that they believe, in the majority of cases, is, is there to help you. They believe those outcomes are gonna, those exercises or those activities or those treats are there to help you, otherwise they wouldn't do them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, not that I'm defending them, but I would always try and have a conversation. It's always better. No, I completely agree. I think, I think- If you can't have a conversation, then, then yeah. obviously, but. Most practitioners really do care about their patients yeah. a lot. You know, you, you do go home thinking of them and talking about them. Yeah. Um, right, uh, where are we here? Oh, the other thing I was gonna say, just about block treatments. I would suggest, Fiona, trying a treatment or two before you commit to a block because at least that way you know how you react yeah. to it, you know how you feel with it, um, and then you can commit. But I, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go kind of gung ho straight away. Yeah, here we always like patients to try the treatment first because some of it you, you may not like. You know, um, for example, our one decompression table, we've got a decompression table in here, and we've got the IDD table. Some people don't like going backwards. They don't like that feeling of going back into the recovery position. Maybe they've got BPV or the, the uh, vertigo because of an inner ear condition. Yeah. And if, you, if that's a, an essential part of the treatment and you can't bear it, then it's worth trying that before you then go and commit to doing those things. So quite important. For sure. Um, right, let me just get to another one. Um, Kate has said here, perhaps I shouldn't ask, but why do uh, physios recommend such exercises when you when you explain why they shouldn't be done? It, is it, it's really common sense. 
Um, so, so, is it not taught when they do when when, when they're doing the training? So, firstly, you should never not ask a question. That's really really important. So don't never don't ever not ask a question. Uh, the only bad questions are the ones that don't get asked. Um, please don't try and test that hypothesis. <laughs> but with this, um, there's different there's different ethoses. If you believe, if you've done a diagnosis, and you you have to remember, there's not that much in the way of spinal detailed spinal anatomy that goes into and, and function that goes into these degrees. A lot of the stuff that we that we do is postgraduate. And even from my point of view, and, and Lara's as an osteopath, when we went to university, a lot of this stuff, although you covered the spine, you didn't cover all these structural things, the way in which it should be, etc. So even in even in as an osteopathy degree, which is which is heavily heavily based in, around treating patients with back pain, this stuff doesn't get covered. So it's important to bear that in mind as well. So they're working on the best information that they have, but they're probably working on a muscular diagnosis. How many of you guys have been to the GP and they've said it's just a muscle go away? And if the GP can't even get it right, and that's, that's you know, they've been to medical school, they've gone on to do their GP training, if they're not even going to get it right, you know, can we really expect the physios or the other practitioners? Because your GP is supposed to be your first port of call. So it is interesting. There are a lot of physios, there are a lot of osteos, and there are a lot of chiros that will understand this sort of stuff and that will not recommend these. It's just a case of having that discussion again with them to make them aware and you know realize it, it, it may test their paradigm or their, their, their way of thinking about things and they might, may not be the most comfortable conversation to have when you think that oh goodness what I've been teaching my patients to do has maybe been wrong but it's worthwhile conversation to have and, and uh, it's just a case of lack of information and maybe they can get more information. Yeah. A lot of physios don't specialize in backs as well. Yes, bear in mind, a lot of physiotherapists and even a lot of osteopaths are not seeing back patients every day. They will have some back patients and some wrists, some elbows, some shoulders. They will be doing injuries. You see a lot of these clinics are sports injury clinics. They're sports injury physio or sports injury osteo. And they're not necessarily dealing with backs as much as a clinic like ours, which is built directly, and all of our experiences is built directly around treating back pain and neck pain. Yes, I think, it, I think so it's also a case of what you're specialising in. Yeah, they'll they'll be way better than us on stuff like ankles and those sorts of things, because we don't see those things as often. Yeah. Um, and they'll have other trips and things that have worked over time. Okay, I think you've answered Fiona's question about how to how to approach a uh, professional yeah. um, that you that you maybe disagree with after watching this video. It's, yeah. you know, just having an open, honest conversation with them will, yeah. will, will usually be absolutely fine, and they should be very welcoming of it. Um, let me just double check YouTube here. Okay, no, that's absolutely fine. Okay, Brynn, I think that is everything. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, guys. If there are any questions do come up while I'm closing things out, then please do read those out, Laura. Um, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you found this one helpful. If you have found it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more useful, these more dynamic live streams, then please do let us know in the comments below. Uh, or if you're in the Facebook group for Back in Shape, then please do let us know in there. If you found this one helpful, I know many of you guys watch these after the fact. Laura, were you going to say something? Fiona's yeah, just said, how do you choose who to go to? A chiro, osteo, or physio? Okay. Um, I normally make a little joke with patients in the clinic and I say the main difference is going to be the spelling um, of the profession. But generally speaking, in my experience, you'll get osteopaths that practice like physios and physios that practice like osteopaths and chiropractors that practice like the others. It depends on that individual's, that clinic's ethos, that clinic's focus and how they choose to practice. Traditionally speaking, maybe 20, 30 years ago, there would be a bit more of a delineation, especially between osteopaths and chiropractors 
and physiotherapists, but there does seem to be a blurring of the lines in a lot of these professions in terms of the techniques that they employ. They're manual therapists at the end of the day. Maybe a physio is more likely to get you doing exercises as a primary mode of, of, of help rather than hands-on treatment, but generally speaking, there's a big crossover. The most important thing that you need to look for when you look at the who to see is to look at how does that clinic that, or that practitioner on their website and maybe their social media, maybe their YouTube, how do they approach these sorts of things? Does it make sense to you? Are they open to questions and these sorts of things and, and, and willing to try and help you guys understand things? That's really the most important thing to look at because they all employ techniques that are very similar across the board. And when it comes to osteopaths and chiropractors, they basically are the same, essentially, or they come from the same origins. Um, Dee Dee Palmer was a student of Andrew Taylor Still, Dee Dee Palmer being the founder of chiropractic and Andrew Taylor still being the founder of osteopathy a couple of uh, you know, maybe 20 or so years prior to chiropractic. There may be some dispute and some chiropractors or osteopaths watching this that have a few extra nuances to add, but fundamentally they are very similar in terms of their approach and the way in which they look at the body. Chiropractors typically will look a little bit more at the spine. Osteopaths tend to move a bit further out looking at the circulatory system and its impact rather than the nervous system and its impact, the reality is they both have an equal role. If, if you didn't have the nervous system to control everything, we'd fall into the ground. And if you didn't have the circulatory system to, construct, to supply oxygen to the nervous system, it couldn't exist on its own either. So they both form an integral sort of approach that, that are both relevant. That's the easiest way. Some people are very um, fundamental about their personal profession, but the reality is having worked with both and being an osteopath has worked a lot with chiropractors, more so maybe than the average, you really can see there's, there's real scope for both philosophies to be put together um, rather than trying to create barriers between one another and rubbish other professions. That's really, it's just that there are good and bad practitioners in all, all of these things. There's good and bad GPs, there's good and bad electricians, there's good and bad everyone. So that's, <laughs> the, that's the best advice I could say. Okay, brilliant. Um, I think that is everything then for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for your awesome. questions. Yeah, thanks, guys, for the questions. Hopefully you did find this one helpful. Hopefully you found it a bit more entertaining, a bit more engaging with me being able to do some of these exercises. And please do, as I say, let us know in the comments if you find these helpful. Um, that would be really, really appreciated. It just helps us tailor these live streams for you. As always, we go live every single weekday. We've got the Q&A, as you've seen today, if you've come this far. Um, Q&A is there to help you guys from home. All of these live streams are free to attend, free to watch. So please do use it as your opportunity to get a little bit of help and support. And if you know anyone else that is, could benefit from these live streams or a topic that we've discovered, uh, covered or a question that's been asked, then please do feel free to share that, whether it's the Facebook or the YouTube video. We really appreciate you guys sharing the content and getting the message out there. So thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day and we will see you tomorrow with another live stream. Thanks, now guys. we've got to close this all down to figure out how to do that. So thanks for joining, guys.